So, my name is Stuart Sadler, I'm one of the curates here. Um, isn't this beautiful morning? They're coming to church this morning with the sunshine and a slight chill in the air, it was lovely. A couple of verses from the reading today. All the Levites who were musicians, Asaph, Heman, Jedithan, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and the musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Well, friends, I have to come clean. I have no musical talent whatsoever. Let me tell you a little story just to prove that fact. When I was 10, I was at junior school, and we had a guitar club. And there were about 20 of us in this guitar club. And we were terrible. We were absolutely atrocious. Uh, the school, rather misguidingly, had set a date by which we were going to perform in the school assembly. Thinking back as an adult, um, I can only now start to think how much that teacher must have gone through as the weeks went by and there was no improvement whatsoever as the date was looming. So he came up with a brilliant idea. Uh, he decided we'd only do one song. Uh, the song uh, was, What Shall We Do With The Drunken Sailor? Let's just brush over quickly over the inappropriateness of this song for young minds. And he simplified the song greatly so that there was only two chords, D and G, I'm led to believe. I have no idea what those letters mean. Um, but he couldn't even trust us to change between those two chords. So here's the idea. He split us into two teams. One team he got us to very firmly get D, and the other very firmly get G, and we were not changing. If superglue had been invented, he'd have stuck our fingers on the strings. Then the song started, and he just pointed at us. What should we do with the drunken sailor? What should we do with the drunken sailor? And he basically just played us. That was the pinnacle of my musical career. Fortunately, in the passage we've just read, there were hundreds of people who were talented and could praise God. However, I want us to all take away the message today that we don't need any talent to praise God. We just need a heart. My family can testify that I have never lacked, I've never let a lack of talent stop me from praising God. Psalm 100 in the King James's version, and I love these words from the King James version, says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. So we are commanded to worship. In fact, in our English Bibles, worship is mentioned over 250 times, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. But what do we mean by worship? Obviously, bearing in mind it's an English word that the Hebrew and Greek Bible scholars have translated from the original words into the English word, worship. So worship comes from the words for worth and ship. Ship meaning state of being. Like we might say that someone has ownership of something, 
that they are in the state of being, that they own the thing that we're talking about. Therefore, worship means literally that the thing we're talking about is in the state that it is worthy. Essentially, in a sentence, the item or person we're talking about when we say worship has worthiness that we want to recognize. And so even in Christian circles, worship was used in the past to describe things other than God. In the book of Common Prayer, in the marriage service of 1552, I am going a bit back now, the bridegroom will say, with this ring I thee wed, with my body I thee worship, and with all my worldly goods I thee endower. However, more and more over the decades and centuries, worship has been used for the worthiness we place upon God himself. And so worship has more and more become how we honor God and declare and live in a way that expresses how we want to share his worth and show his worth. This, of course, can be done personally on our own or as a body as we gather to worship him exactly what we're doing here this morning, right now. And also, exactly what the Israelites were doing in our passage that we've just read. So looking closely at our passage today from 2 Chronicles chapter 5, and if you want to follow me, that's on page 439. Well, in the first verse of that passage, actually verse 1, when all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had, ded had dedicated. So the temple was built. Solomon had brought everything back in. And this culminated in the final act of placing the Ark of the Lord's Covenant in the holiest of holies. The Ark, the object for Jewish people, that indicated that the very presence of God was in the temple. This was a great day, a day that the Israelite people had been waiting for years. You can feel in the passage we've read just how excited all the people are. This is a grand occasion, and one that everything had to be done just right to give God the worth that he deserves, the honor that all wanted to place on God, the worship he deserves. As he cared for the people and had lavished his love on them year after year, they just wanted to worship him. So what can we learn from this text that maybe at first reading may seem very ancient to us or even a bit strange to our modern ears? What can we learn about worship? Worshipping the same God today as each man and woman and child would have on that hot day in Jerusalem so many years ago. Well, I think there are four parts in this passage that I want to touch on that really connect to us today in our worship. Firstly, verse 3, and all the Israelites came together. I said earlier that worship can be done alone or in groups. However, I don't think I should have used the word or. I think I should have used the word and. Because again and again in the Bible, people are commanded 
or just naturally come together to worship God as a natural response. We, plural, are called to worship him together, to encourage each other. I don't know about you, but if I was left to worship on my own, I would be in serious risk of becoming disheartened. There are times when I come to church full of my own troubles and my own thoughts, but I leave often full of joy by hearing his word and praising his name. In this very room, so many times the Holy Spirit has ministered to me through words of scripture, through words of song, through a kind word from one another, through prayer or listening to the preacher. God longs to minister to you. He longs for the barriers that so easily are put up in our hearts that hinder our relationship with him to be torn down. Of course, this can be done in our own home too, but so many times I know that I've encountered God here worshiping with you lovely folk. Which leads to my second stage in our passage. In verse 6, it says, And King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. Imagine that. Their hearts wanted so much to be put right with God that they sacrificed so many sheep and cattle that they couldn't be counted. And this gets to the heart of our own heart. These barriers are often our own making. We stew and we fester. We know that so often we turn away from God throughout the troubles of life. How often do we put our worth, the worth of things in other things other than God? How often do we turn away from him and place worth in other things? You know what I'm talking about. Last week when Tom preached here, he said that there was a natural propensity to place our worship on something. It's just how we're hardwired. So where are we placing our worship? If it's not placing worship on God, who or what are we placing our worship on? Is it success, work, or otherwise? Is it prosperity? Is it escapism through fantasy, seek of popu seeking popularity through alcohol, through the internet, through enjoying gossip, envy, or jealousy? These things are so short-lived and they will always fail. These are false gods and their promises are lies. Well, in this verse that I've just read, all the people from King Solomon down to the lowest of the low in society recognized before praise that they wanted to acknowledge that God was who he is and they wanted to be put right with God. In Solomon's day, the time before Jesus, the Jewish people marked this heartfelt desire by sacrificing animals to pay for those things that they had turned away from God. For us, we have the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus, who died once on the cross for us all. And so we can seek forgiveness with a confidence that we can be made free through his most precious blood.
We did this earlier when Catherine led us through a time of thinking of our own confession, but then also those wonderful, joyous words of absolution when we know we can be forgiven people, knowing that we can be forgiven, which leads us and King Solomon to respond with an outpouring of praise, lavishing worship on the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, God himself. So that's the third stage. Verse 13, the trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to the Lord, accompanied by trumpets and cymbals and other instruments. The singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, he is God. Sorry, he is God, but he is good. His love endures forever. Together they poured out their hearts to God as God had given them talent. Well, I would love to have been one of those singers, singing, he is good, his love endures forever. When our worship is placed on him, we can really open up to him, recognizing our gratitude, yes, our love, yes, and something that we just can't put our words to. So it's really hard to describe worship, isn't it? Well, Robert Sharp in his book, In His Presence, writes this. Worship, like love, is characterized by intuitive simplicity. Everybody knows what worship is, just as everybody knows what love is. And at the same time, philosophical complexity the harder you press to unpack love or worship, the more complex the task. So in our hearts, we know what it is, but maybe it's hard to define. Theologians have endeavored to try to define the word worship in a succinct way. One book I really like, called Worship by the Book by David Carlson, managed to get his definition down to a colossal 172 words. And there's copies of it at the back if you'd like to pick up a copy on your way out. I don't propose to read it out now, but it is really good uh, to slowly read through all the aspects of worship he tries to capture. But like so many of the best things in life, like love, worship is so difficult to define. But when we are worshiping and connecting with our innermost feelings and lifting these up to God, then Robert Sharp, as Robert Sharp said, we just know what worship is. With the barriers down, as forgiven people, we can let ourselves go and just praise him. And so fourthly, God longs to meet with us. In our passage in verse 13 and 14, it says, then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud and the priests could not, could not perform their service because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. I am sure, I'm speaking for Catherine here too, we would love for all of us to connect so closely and intimately as we worship with God that this service just breaks down. And if you are meeting with God, then just meet with him and pray with him and be led by his spirit. Even if Catherine can keep going on the planned service, one thing I want you to be completely free to be able to do 
is that you should be free to respond to God in any way that he is interacting with you. So as we sing, God longs to commune with you. As we pray, too. So if in a song you want to sit and pray, then just do it. Don't worry about what the person at the front says. If you want to close your eyes and just listen and let God wash over you, then just do it. If you want to sing at your loudest voice, however terrible your voice is like mine, then just do it. Prior to this service, we met to pray, and we pray for all aspects of the service. But mostly, I love it when we pray that each of us will meet anew with God, meet with him in a way that makes us changed people. My prayer is that the glory of the Lord fills this temple this morning and ever after. Amen.